0: Yes. Five, four, three, two,
1: one. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Kerry McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into the commonalities of successful people and the ups and downs of risk-taking. And now it's time for Kerry McCoy to get all up in your business.
2: Thank you, Sun Gray. My guest today is Alan Leverett, who, in 1974, with a few friends, launched the Arkansas Times, an alternative monthly magazine about political and cultural news in Arkansas. Following the 13-year war between the two newspapers, Arkansas Gazette and Arkansas Democrat, which resulted in the closing of the Gazette in 1991 and the renaming of Democrat to the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Alan said, and I quote, we wanted to keep the Gazette's voice alive in the community. And last but not least, when Alan is not trying to change the world, he is a second-generation farmer or third? Mm, third. Third-generation farmer. Welcome to the table, the super ambition, Alan Leverett. Hey, mm-hmm. Alan.
0: Good afternoon, Carrie. I'm glad to be here.
2: Thank you for coming. You're a rock star. When I told everybody you were You're on home. here, they were like, what? You you have people that really love you or really don't? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like me, isn't it? Is the Times a magazine or a newspaper? And what's the difference?
0: Well, the Times, I guess I'd have to say is a newspaper because the Times is much, much more current. But the Times is right in the middle of what's going on in terms of politics, in terms of culture, in terms of weekly music, live music, entertainment, dining. Yeah. So we're you know we're, we're covering the legislature. We have people out at the legislature. Max Bradley with the Arkansas blog, ArkansasTimes.com. His blog is, he'll do 20 posts a day. What? Uh, Oh, yeah. No, he'll be sitting there watching the live feed of the legislature on the debates and everything. Plus, he knows where everybody is buried in the state of Arkansas. So he can bring that 50 years of experience as a working journalist, his knowledge of the legislature and technology and deliver really good, insightful. Does
2: anybody else do that? Do blogs like twenty blogs a day from the legislature? No, or is he no the only one? one? No,
0: no one's doing that now, in the, right now in this market, and no one does it as persistently as Max does. That's so, wonderful. Yeah, so it's really good if you're if you're interested in breaking news and breaking news from a really really informed left of center perspective. Max at dot The Arkansas blog is the place to
2: go. Is that free to be on the Arkansas Times?
0: Everything at the Arkansas Times is free except the Arkansas blog. And the Arkansas blog is a meter, has a metered paywall. So like you can go there ten times a month free of charge. And then we cut you off because we're trying to all of us live indoors and as you said, technology <laughs> is changing. And so we are trying to find new advertising revenues and new revenue streams. And what we found is that we need to be. You need money. The we need money. Yeah, Yeah, the people. Technology is expensive. The the people who well, people are expensive. People like Max who have the experience and the knowledge and the know-how. I've got to pay them. And so readers have got to step up and help pay that bill too, not just advertisers anymore.
2: Yeah. And so the Arkansas Times is free. It's everywhere. You can oh, yeah. pick it up everywhere. Where? So Ar- you can't make money off of that. It's not like the newspaper where you have a subscription. There's well, no subscription.
0: the we, we Arkansas Times, you know, we, we like we joke internally, we're aspirationally profitable but the Arkansas Times sells advertising. We sell a lot of advertising. Plus we do other things. Like you said, El Latino, we do Arkansas Wild Magazine, which is eight times a year. It's a statewide. We do two bike magazines a year, four Arkansas Wild Magazines a year. We do Paddle Magazine once a year. We do a lot of things. How many
2: employees do you have? We have 35. And how many freelance people do you have?
0: A few. We use some freelance. We rely... On the Arkansas Times, we're probably 80% staff written. We've got seven full time staff members on the Times. This has been a rough time for newspapers all over the United States. You know, the Democrat is, has had to lay off, gosh, I don't know, 15, 20 reporters. And we have been able to avoid that, but it's been very, very difficult.
2: How many words a day do you read? I don't know. <laughs>
0: I don't read as much as I need to. I think that. Oh,
2: I cannot even imagine. So let's talk about how you got started <laughs> for all the people that are young and are trying to get started mm-hmm. and are ad- and admiring you. I read you started your media career in college. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Well, actually, I started a newspaper at North Rock High School called Essence, and I was actually a conservative activist, a conservative political activist in high school. I came from a very conservative family politically and was active in Young Americans for Freedom. And so I started Essence in high school my senior year and then took it to college with me. And it was a libertarian, independent student newspaper. That's
2: not conservative.
0: Well, it is, actually. It's, Libertarianism
2: is conservative. Remarked. What's the definition of that?
0: Well, libertarian libertarians believe in very, very limited government. Oh. And so they want to keep the government out of your pocketbook. They also want to keep the government out of your bedroom. So it's actually sort of like, you know, I... I respect libertarians the way I respect the Catholic Church. I don't don't agree with their stance on abortion, but it's very, very consistent with their pro-life stance on the death penalty. I respect the Catholic Church because even though I disagree on abortion, they are very, very consistent in their pro-life. Not like many evangelical conservatives who say, well, we're pro-life when it comes to abortion, but we're going to offer the death penalty.
2: Oh, I never thought about that. So
0: libertarians are the same way. Whereas the social conservatives, they want to get the government out of your pocket, but they want to put the government back in your bedroom. Libertarians are very consistent in saying that we want this little government as possible.
2: I've never thought about either of those issues. So after you got out of college, you started another newspaper.
0: Jim Bell, the owner of Publishers Bookshop, gave me $200. I asked him if he wanted to buy stock. And he said, well, how much are you looking for? And I said, what do you got? He says, well, I'll give you $200. I said, great. I'd been down to Park and Printing Company, and I bought me a blank stock certificate. So I filled it out and gave it to him, and he gave me $200. Found out years later he had written down in his checkbook, Donation, because he never expected to see the $200 again. So that
2: newspaper was called?
0: Union Station That's Times, right. And which eventually morphed into Arkansas Times, because we realized we couldn't make a living as a neighborhood newspaper. And we were down on this little railroad house down on 2nd Street by the train station, Union Station. And David and I lived in the back and then we put out the, and our volunteer staff, we put out the-
2: Was it conservative?
0: No, it was, it was moving in a more liberal direction. It was mainly, was focused, it wasn't so political. It was really focused on investigative reporting. We weren't near as pegable, if you will. Although I remember Siebert Distributing, they were the magazine distributor here in Little Rock back then. And Mr. Siebert decided we were communist where he came up with that. (laughs) But he said we were communist and so he wouldn't distribute us. So that's when we started having to put out boxes and come up with all kinds of ways to get the newspaper. In people's
2: hands. And that Union Station newspaper Union Station that was investigative Times. reporting morphed Prior into to the Arkansas Times. Today.
0: Right, as we it became Union Station Times and Arkansas Union Station Times.
2: In twenty fifteen, you did a. Really big investigative story, and you broke some news in Northwest Arkansas. They got picked up nationally. Oh, yeah. All right. It's time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to ask Alan his opinion about the future of media in America, about what drives a person to want to be a newspaper man with its deadlines, cutthroat competition, and inflammatory headlines. We'll hear his favorite news story, and last, what it's like to be a farmer today in Arkansas.
3: With different businesses slowly getting back to open hours for the public, you need help in encouraging your employees and your customers to stay safe by supporting social distancing. TheFlagandBanner.com has social distancing floor decals. See all the styles we have and the uses for them at FlagandBanner.com. And don't miss the 20% off in-stock merchandise coupon code on the website. It's easy to find. And remember this, if you're working from home and attending online meetings, FlagAndBanner.com has the office backdrop you need to look professional and ready to work. TheFlagAndBanner.com
2: You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Alan Leverett, publisher of the Arkansas Times, El Latino newspaper, Arkansas Food and Farm magazine, and Savvy Kids, just to name a few of his publications. So, Alan, the Arkansas Gazette, I read when I was doing the research for you, Mm -hmm. started in 1819 Mm -hmm. in Arkansas before it was even a state. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. When it folded in 1991, its assets were purchased by the then Democrat newspaper. Mm -hmm. What did you think about all that? Because you were already in business.
0: My second job was writing weekend obituaries at the Arkansas Democrat. I could barely type. And my third job was being the weekend obituary writer at the Arkansas Gazette a year later. So I'd worked at both papers and I, that's by the way the lowest of the lowest entry-level jobs is not only not, not only to be the Obit writer be the weekend Obit writer. <laughs> but I knew that the Gazette was by far the, the best paper in terms of reporting in terms of journalism had a sorry business office. Absolutely, there was nothing but order takers. But what a salesman in amongst them.
2: And you know, they were the Democrat was only quarter of the size of customers as the Gazette had.
0: Right. But you had you had a very, very dedicated publisher, you had a young guy that had very, very deep pockets from his family's. Are you uh, talking about Mr. Husband? Yes. And he was young then. And he had very deep pockets. His family had been doing cable television for years and years. So he was able just to outlose the Gazette, and then when, when the owners of the Gazette sold out to uh, Gannett, you know, we thought, well, that's the end of the Democrat. Yes, yeah, right. But what we didn't realize is that for Gannett, this was a business decision. How many millions of dollars they were going to lose, they had to answer to stockholders. For Mr. Hussman, it was a lifestyle decision. I mean, do you want to be publisher of the daily newspaper in Little Rock, Arkansas? And that's a life. And that's, that's hard to put a, a value on. And- Evidently, he put a greater value on it than Gannett and their stockholders did. And so ultimately, they walked and he took over. And I will tell you, I think the Democrat today is a very good newspaper. And we're lucky to have a local owner. You see some of the sorriest papers in the world in some cities much larger than ours because they're daily papers. Uh, Business is tough. You don't have a publisher that will commit personal resources to keep that paper alive and keep it doing what it ought to be doing for its community. And I think the Democrat does
2: that. You know, we are lucky to have a local owner for our newspaper. And it's not some big corporation in New York that's running it. Exactly. And when I read about how good Walter Hussman did and what a great businessman he was and how competitive he was and how he just was not going to fold when his subscribers were low, he went to the Gazette and said, do you want to buy my paper? And they said no. And 13 years later, they're folding and he's buying their assets mm-hmm. for probably yeah. 10 cents on the dollar.
0: I'm sure it's frustrating, though, because when he took that over, basically, he had a printing press for money when he was able to finally win that newspaper and It wasn't five or six years later, the bottom fell out of the newspaper business. <laughs> But I'm sure he's made it back. i yeah, and he's one of, Walter.
2: And the Arkansas Gazette's one of the newspapers that is solvent across America when everybody was not. It was solvent, and is sometimes used as an example of how to do business.
0: Oh, the Arkansas Gazette. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was it was wildly profitable.
2: Mm-hmm. So when this happened, mm-hmm. it made you change the how you wanted to mm-hmm. do the Arkansas mm-hmm. Times. You wanted to jump in and maybe be- it was
0: very very important. If you go back to the 1957 integration crisis, what saved Little Rock? in my opinion, in terms of sort of the soul of Little Rock, was while the community and the Arkansas Democrat basically had turned themselves over to the mob, the Arkansas Gazette took a very principled stand, went through a very, very difficult advertiser boycott, and said, basically, we need to follow the law here, the law of land disintegration, we need to integrate Central High School. For that reason, all the banks, the retailers, the department stores all walked out on the Gazette. They lost a million dollars that year. And that was when a million dollars was a million dollars. Yeah. And the Gazette won the admiration of most of the journalists in the nation at that time because of the family's willingness to, to take that hit. And so when that newspaper was shutting down and its assets were being taken over by the old segregationist afternoon paper that you know, it was the Democrat or that was their heritage. And it was a very conservative paper. I just felt like that we needed to keep that voice here in the community. And so I went out and Mar Leverett, my wife at the time, she said, well, why don't we take the magazine and turn it into a a weekly newspaper? And I looked at it. I said, that's a great idea. So I raised $680,000 from 22 business people here in the community. And we took the monthly Arkansas Times Magazine to weekly and hired the senior staff, of the Arkansas Gazette, as they were hitting the
2: streets. Oh, so you gave people jobs.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't, didn't give everybody a job, but we gave- The best. Gave a lot of people. George Fisher came to work for us, and Ernie Dumas, and Max Brantley, and a lot of people,
2: yeah. I bet that was a really exciting time in your life.
0: That's still exciting. <laughs>
2: You have a lot of publications, not just the Arkansas Times. Yeah. You have the El Latino newspaper, the Arkansas mm-hmm. Food and Farm magazine, Savvy Kids. You named a few others. How do you manage all of those newspapers?
0: Well, there's other people that, that are responsible for a lot of those titles. I'm responsible for more than I wish I was. But
2: so there's a managing editor for each oh, one of them. Oh, yeah, those. yeah.
0: There's an editor for each do one Do you of
2: read each one of them? Yes, yes. Before they come out?
0: No, I don't read before they come out. I read after they come out. There's no way. I mean, if I had to sit there and first of all, if I got to read everything and approve it, then I need to get a different editor. Oh, Um, I gotcha. No, I don't read anything before it comes out. I've got great people. I trust them and I respect them. And I don't always agree with them. And sometimes I'll come after the fact and I'll say, I wish you hadn't done that. Or why did you run a cover with black and red, a black background and red type that no one can see in a newsstand? But You know, <laughs> stuff like that. But no, to the extent that you possibly can, you need to have a wall between editorial and, and business. I represent the business side, and I'm under enormous pressure from the business side to make compromises. So, so when you
2: say you're under the business side, do you mean you sell ads?
0: I sell ads. You bet. I'm I'm the salesman in chief down there. I started out as the editor. No one could sell an ad. So I said to my friend Bill Terry at the time, who had been, just been fired from the Democrat, I said, Bill, you take over. You write the stories. And, And I'm going to go see if I can sell some ads because if I don't, we're going to be out of business next week. And this was 74. And so I went, I walked down the street to the Shack Barbecue and God love him. The guy there bought a half page ad. And I thought, well, maybe I can do this. (laughs) So that was my, that was my training.
2: Well, it's very impressive when you come in, Alan, and you're selling an ad. I mean, you came to see me a couple of years ago and said, Kira, I need an ad. And I was like, you're here to see me as busy as you are. And I mean, you're just kind of like, okay, I'll buy an ad.
0: Well, that's great. We need to talk.
2: <laughs> so, how do you find your stories? Well, you don't you, really have to do that. You have reporters that do that?
0: Oh, yeah, that's their job. Although, I mean, I hear stuff all the time because I'm out, you know, I pollinate a lot of flowers. I talk to a lot of people because I'm on sales calls and they're interesting people. I love selling. And one of the great things about doing what I get to do is that I will sit there and I'll talk to a small business owner. At nine o'clock and at 10 o'clock, I'm talking to a banker, and at 11 o'clock, I'm talking to a farmer, and at one o'clock, I'm talking to a flag and banner owner. <laughs> so, you get to talk to a lot of people. You get to, it's a very eclectic day.
2: So, your riders, do you have a lot of turnover in riders? No, we don't. How do you not have a lot of turnover in riders? Which position at your place turns over? And do you have to hire those people and fire them? We, or do you have an office manager that does all that? No, I mean, I have, to, I have to let people go sometimes. Sales
0: is always a challenge. It's not that we have a lot of turnover. It's very hard to find people who can do that, who like to do it. You've got to have thick skin. You've got to have energy. You've got to be fearless. You can't be afraid of other people telling you no or being mean to you. We find that women are much better as salespeople. We find that teachers are very good salespeople. Really? Yeah, school teachers. Because they're they they've been up in front of people explaining stuff for a long time. They know how to present, they know how to hold people's attention.
2: That's really interesting because you know my sales manager who is awesome is a teacher.
0: Yeah. Well that's yeah, I mean the idea of salesmen being some sort of shyster or something is silly. So yeah, we find that teachers are good. I find that educated women Young women tend to just be, they'll walk through walls. Sometimes I'll just want to put my foot into a guy's tail end because he's just, you know, he can't take it. He does, you know, he gets his, someone's insulting to him. It ruins his week. And it's like, get over it, man. A woman will just sit there, let it bounce right off of her and go on to the next one. Anyway, mean, those are just, those are gross generalizations. Yes. And, and please, no one sue me for sex
2: discrimination. <laughs> well, you're going the right direction for suing. If you just said it the other way, you'd be in trouble. You but your writers don't turn over much. No, and you don't a, use a lot of freelance writers. No. What is it you like about the publishing business the most? Well, the thing that gets me up in the morning is that That's actually one of my questions. What gets you up in the morning? It's I think all of us in
0: life look for something larger than ourselves. Okay? We all look for meaning in life. And so for me, being able to get up and... I'm not the engineer. I'm not the guy. I'm not the editor. I'm not putting out the stories, but I'm... I'm the fireman on that locomotive. I'm pitching the wood into the fire, keeping the steam up. That's my role. And I'm real content with it. So my job is to back up my editors, find the money to pay them, and let them do their job. And the only real influence that I have is that I hire them. But once I hire them, so long as they're doing their job, then I get out of the way. A good publisher, in my opinion, is a publisher that knows when to leave the room.
2: A good manager of any kind.
0: Well, uh, that's, that's You
2: probably weren't always that way. You probably started off wanting to write.
0: Oh, I did. All I, When I started The Times, all I wanted to do was write. And I went to my friends. I was writing. I was editing and doing most of the writing for Essence, which was this independent student newspaper out at UALR that we did for three years. And all I wanted to do was write. And I didn't want anyone telling me what to write. I had ideas, the stories I wanted to write, and I wanted to write them. And I thought, well, we'll find some Jake leg to sell the ads. and. All of us cool guys will sit here and write and find somebody who's sold out to be the salesman and and who's only interested in money. And I found out very quickly that everybody else wanted to write to it. No one wanted, wanted to go out and do the work, which was selling. Which uh, was
2: grow the business.
0: Yeah. I mean, just be able to it, pay we, the rent.
2: We talk about that all the time on this show, that managers get stuck in the business instead of working on the business. Yeah. And working on the business is really where the owner and manager needs to
0: be. There was a great very influential story I read in the magazine, trade magazine folio 40 years ago. And it said, it was a cover was all these, it was a photograph of a cemetery, all these tombstones. And they had written the names of all these dead magazines on the tombstones. And the headline said, so you want to start a magazine? And the advice that they said, it says, whoever has the vision editorially They need to get out of the editorial office and into the community. Whoever it is that is consumed with this mission that this publication is going to have, they need to be the ones out there conveying that to the business community and not sitting there trying to write all the stories. So how do you
2: quench your thirst to write? Do you go home and write in your journal? Are you writing a book?
0: I don't write. You
2: don't write anymore?
0: No, No, very little. So
2: you have this burning desire to write and you don't do it anymore?
0: No, it's writing's hard work. And I guess maybe, you know, I'm, I've been doing this 43 years. Maybe I've gotten a little lazy, but I do a little writing. I write maybe one or two columns a year. I'll get incensed about something and and I'll sit down. You
2: blog? You have your own blog? No. That'd be a great outlet for you. I'm going to push for you to get a blog. What's the most challenging thing about being a newspaper man?
0: Just contending with the change in the marketplace, the move from print to digital
2: You know what else I'm thinking about. Legislature affects your business, doesn't it?
0: Well, state government advertises. One thing that the Republicans have been pretty effective at is that they are very careful that taxpayer money does not go to publications that oppose their policies.
2: Oh, that makes sense. We may talk about that later. If we have time, you can be more specific. But it's time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to ask Alan his opinion about the future of media in America. We'll find out what his favorite story is and i think i already know what that is and probably his most successful story and last what it's like to be a farmer in arkansas today
3: it's the time of year to splash your home with as much red white and blue as possible the patriotic season in the usa it runs from memorial day all the way through labor day and this year you'll want to do it more proudly than ever before whether you're honoring frontline essential workers first responders or just the fact that you're thankful to be an American, TheFlagAndBanner.com has everything you need to string pennants around the porch, hang full fans from windows, wrap columns in fabric, and top it all off with an American flag flying high. Look for the 20% off coupon code usable storewide online at FlagAndBanner.com. We also have answers to all your display questions on our website too, FlagAndBanner.com.
2: You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Alan Leverett, publisher of the Arkansas Times, El Latina newspaper, Arkansas Food, and Farm Magazine, and Savvy Kids. So we had a question during the break, and it is, with so many people getting their news online, is it hard to be competitive while keeping quality content?
0: Well... First of all, we publish ArkansasTimes.com, which had four hundred and fifty thousand unique visitors last month, according to Google. It's the first or second largest news site in the state, so we have tremendous traffic there. We put a lot of resources into it. Max is there with the Arkansas Blog, doing breaking news and perspective all day. So it's there's- only
2: Arkansas news, too, right?
0: Yeah, it's primarily Arkansas, and but I tell you, you know, I, I get the I have a subscription to the New York times. that comes every day, the newspaper. And then also I subscribe to the Arkansas the New York times website. And I will read during the day. when I get a moment, I'll check and see what's going on I'll read a little bit of the New York times website. And then at lunch, I will take my newspaper by myself and I'll sit down and I'll read the newspaper. And there's, I realize there's so much that I miss just from a, almost a technical point of view, of looking at that website, not being able to turn a page and see a story. You know, it's it's hard to find stories on the web, even on a good website like the New York Times. So I get so much more from sitting there reading my newspaper, but I also read the New York Times. But I always find there's plenty of stuff that I miss that I can sit down at lunchtime and spend an hour. It's and, hard and to navigate that. websites because
2: an ad will come up and you'll shoot off in another direction.
0: Yeah. It's so. People
2: let it put a lot of thought into actually the print of the newspaper, what stories go together and how it flows. And you can't really see that on a website as well.
0: Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes the web where it makes you have the attention span of a squirrel and <laughs> you, you know, you just, you're just bouncing all over the place. <laughs> but no, it also, I think, I think for long form journalism, print is far superior It's hard to sit there and read a 3,000-word story online. It just very, very seldom happens, whereas you could sit there with a magazine or a newspaper. And if the story is engaging and the the design is engaging, you very likely will get through it.
2: And I feel smart when I'm reading a newspaper. (laughs) I don't necessarily feel smart when I'm reading, although I read on a Kindle. But I do feel smart when I'm holding a book. There you go. I don't know why. So that kind of leads us into the next question. What do you see for the future of American journalism and news reporting?
0: I don't think I really have any great insights on where journalism is going. People want news.
2: We've already said that print is not out. We both agree on that.
0: Yeah. And in whatever form, whatever technology does or doesn't bring us, people are still going to want news. You know, one of the things that I I find interesting is a lot of people, sometimes you go to particularly small business people and they say, well, we're, we're doing all of our promoting on social media. Facebook and Twitter and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting here. You have a platform that has been so discredited. I mean, you can look at the presidential election, fake news, all the stuff, all the incredible untruths that have shown up on Facebook and all these different sites, you know, the Pope endorses Trump and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, if a newspaper did that, no one would read it. They would not trust it or a magazine or TV news or whatever. And yet people who have are operating a credible business who know that trust is an integral part of their relationship with their customers, they're relying on a, on a platform that has real credibility problems, which social media has developed. And I, I think Zuckerberg is absolutely aware of this, that they have got to do something to get control of the garbage that is showing up on social media because otherwise people are not going to want to advertise on it. And I was talking to a friend of mine who published the Memphis Flyer and he was with some bankers in Memphis the other day and they were moving their budget back into his newspaper Right. because they said, look, we're a bank. We've got to have credibility. And after this presidential election and what's been on social media, we don't want our bank and our advertising associated. We don't know where our ads are going to show up on what they're going to be next to. So they're wanting something that's curated. And that's what newspapers and magazines do is they deliver curated news that you have someone with a brain and who knows the difference between blatant untruths and truth. And they have, they've done their best. That's a great
2: advertising tip for people out there that, a lot of people feel like they're being pressured to do Facebook advertising and to do internet advertising. But you, have, you just gave some great advice. You have no
0: control what your ad is. It, your ad could be sitting next to porn. Your ad could be sitting next to you know some some troll from Russia. My Lord, you, yeah. you go through all this effort to keep control of your message, your company's image, and you're going to put it up on Facebook? Are you crazy?
2: Well, I'm doing it. There you, go. there you go. It's cheap is why I'm doing it. <laughs>
0: exactly. And there's a reason it's cheap.
2: It is cheap. Facebook is so cheap. You started a nonprofit.
0: We called, did. We started, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. called the Arkansas yeah. Nonprofit News Network, ANNN. Right. What's its mission and where do you air it?
0: Well, it's available to just about every newspaper in the state. And Lindsay's been working on this, our editor. And basically what it is, it's a way that we can get people. There are a lot of people that are looking for, from a philanthropic point of view, they want to donate money towards quality journalism and information about the state. But, you know, we're a for-profit business, so you really can't donate money to us and, and have it come off your taxes. But by putting this 501c3 together and making it available to newspapers all over the state, then that gives us the money to go out and bring in freelancers like we just brought in a staff member on Atlantic Monthly. Really? And she, yeah, she'd won the Pulitzer Prize doing work on foster care around the country. And we came in and we did a whole series on foster care and how we're treating our children in foster care and adoptions in the state. And the recommendations that she made over a period of time were the recommendations that the DHS director recently adopted to improve our foster care system here in the state.
2: So the Nonprofit News Network seeks to publish and broadcast deep examinations of crucial topics and develop major investigative series. That's really an investigative?
0: Yeah. Well, what we're trying to do is bring in experts, people that we couldn't ordinarily afford ourselves. But by being able to tap into the philanthropic community, we can take that money and then we can bring people, either use local people or bring people from out of state.
2: So you can we, get grants because you're a nonprofit. Exactly to do, See, to do yeah, social media. Yeah, the times
0: media. can't do that, but the, no, but the nonprofit it's for can. profit. Yeah, we've created a network of like the Jonesboro Sun, other newspapers around the state, and they have the same access to those. We uh-huh. all have access so you share to, it. to those stories. Yeah, and we want to get we want to get those messages out during the during the Mayflower oil spill. Well, we hired a woman who had won a Pulitzer Prize or been a finalist for a Pulitzer Prize for an oil spill on the same kind of things it was a ruptured i actually i think that was a, a train that turned over up on but it
2: was a catastrophic event
0: yes a, a oil in a river oh and so she really understood how oil is transported and what the what the live you know what the problems can be and she really understood what had happened and we were looking at the coverage that mayflower was getting and no one owned the story no one had yet come in there and gone You know, if you're interested in what's going to happen to Lake Conway and what's happening to all these people and what the potential damage, the real catastrophic potential is that that pipeline runs within a few hundred yards of Lake Maumelle.
2: That's our drinking water.
0: Absolutely. For 400,000 people. And if that break in that line had happened five miles further down the road, you know, we'd look like Flint, Michigan. So that's what this writer brought to us. So we brought her down. We rented her a house and she stayed down here for six weeks. And she did all these stories and did a fabulous job. Rachel Maddow, I was sitting there watching her one night. She holds up a copy of the Arkansas Times and said, these people deserve a of surprise. Well, you know, it made my night.
2: So, Alan, yep. you're a third generation farmer. That's how you relax. When did you start farming? Because I don't think you started farming.
0: About thirty-three years ago. Oh, I didn't know you were doing um, that long. I had the opportunity to move out to our old family home place, which is twenty-five miles north of here, and it's my great grandfather's old farm that he had bought in nineteen oh one. Had a old log house on it that was built in the late eighteen fifties, and I'd been going out there every week practically as a child growing up. We'd go out there and picnic, and after 1965, the house was abandoned and slowly fell into disrepair, and finally the roof caved in. But I always, I kept trying to talk my parents into moving out there, and finally in '82 was able to. Mar and I went out there.
2: Do you live in the log home?
0: Yeah, Paul bought the farm from Mister Mason in 1901. It was Mister Mason's house. Paul lived down the road, and he lived about. Who's Paul? My, Paul is my great grandfather. Okay. His father was a. Confederate soldier that started walking West from South Carolina after the war. And he and his group got here and they said it looked kind of like South Carolina, Charlotte kind of the land reminded them that. So they stopped. They just kept, but they were just wandering after the war.
2: And that's where they were originally from.
0: Yeah. Right. Just, just South of Charlotte. But anyway, I got out there and had no interest in farming and started a little garden and It was like the peasant genes came out in me. It was just like suddenly I'm out there and look at this land. And so every year the garden would get bigger and finally it went from sort of being a garden to being a farm. And And you've
2: um, got the hands of a farmer. I wish everybody could see your dirty fingernails.
0: I do have dirty fingernails. You got dirty hands. You got uh,
2: hands of a farmer. You I've can got, tell you're
0: in it. I've got a thousand tomatoes. We we grow large heirloom tomatoes, three different varieties primarily, but we always do some. Some we're always trialing new new varieties. What's
2: the name of your farm?
0: India Blue Farm. And in fact, I've got. I don't know anyone south of me that's growing raspberries commercially. So,
2: so you're doing raspberries. That's a delicate, uh, delicate it's, fruit,
0: and because and because of that, you can't ship it. So, a local raspberry is always going to be really superior. But it's hard because raspberries don't do well in the heat, and we're hot. Mm-hmm. It's gotten hotter, and we've lost a lot of plants. But we these are mulched so deep that, and then they're irrigated down deep that it keeps the roots cool, and we're able to to do it.
2: Do you have anything that you want to say? I know you're always thinking if you could change one thing in the world right now, what would it be?
0: And I feel like a beauty contestant. Okay. peace.
2: <laughs> How about this? Does it bother you that the media is now able to be owned by so many corporations across so many platforms? Cause that bothers me. Well, I but feel keep, like we're losing control of our media,
0: but keep in mind at the same time, media is so diverse and, and think about, The bar to entry, someone like me with $200, you know, was able to start very, very small. And, you know, if you don't have student debt, if you've avoided student debt, if you've avoided having children, if you've avoided buying a house where you can live on little or nothing and take a night job like you did and like I did the opportunity is there and and media is very very diverse right now i mean one thing you can say about the web is that any jake leg that wants to get out there and start a blog can do it and if they're good enough very likely they can develop a following so
2: great attitude. don't
0: think of things as static i mean you can do something yourself don't blame corporations go do it yourself
3: Since we have time left in this program, it'd be very interesting to revisit the interview Carrie did with Walter Hussman about the famous newspaper wars between
1: the Democrat and the Gazette in the late 1970s and through the 1980s. At that time, the Gazette was such a strong newspaper. It had really doubled the circulation daily of the Democrat. The Democrat had been declining for a number of years at one time, you know, after 1957, the Democrat actually had slightly more circulation than the Gazette. But but the Gazette was a morning newspaper. It was a really good newspaper. And the, the Democrat was a really kind of had had watched its expenses so closely. They weren't so focused on revenue, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, uh, so when we looked at the Democrat, it was clearly a turnaround situation. It had been profitable, but it lost money, not a lot of money, but it lost money the last Four or five years, before and, you, bought and it. you thought it was losing
2: money because money because it was squeezing itself.
1: Yeah, I, well, they lost so much market share to their competition, and uh, so anyway, they, uh, they and being an afternoon newspaper was, was a problem for them too. So anyway, uh, so but, it, but what appealed to me was it looked like a turnaround, and I remember being in a business school thinking, you know, it'd really be fun someday to buy a business and, and turn it around. That would be a great. A lot of fun and really interesting and be quite an accomplishment if you were able to do that. So I didn't realize it'd be quite.
2: Yeah, (laughs) you and I are grinning at each other. I remember it. It was a war. They called it the newspaper war and was probably the most aggressive newspaper war in the United States.
1: Well, it really didn't start out that way. Really, we tried to reduce expenses a lot in the newspaper. There was uh, I remember when we bought the paper, there was a union organizing attempt in both the Democrat and the Gazette. And so the first thing we needed to do was try to win that election. And we won uh, 31 to 15. <laughs> I still remember all these years <laughs> later. And uh, the Gazette won their election 50 to 50. That tells you a little bit, incident and event of a tie, management always wins. So the interesting thing, they had 100 people that voted in their newsroom, and we had, you know, 31 to 15. So what does that tell you? They had had a newsroom that was double our size. So obviously there was a lot more news and a lot more information in the Gazette. And so at first we just tried to be more clever, you know, do more local news, maybe, you know, just edit the paper in a more interesting way than the Gazette. we tried to be a compliment to the Gazette. You know, we knew the Gazette was dominant. We'd try to be a compliment. We'd try to be profitable. That strategy didn't work. And so after about three years, uh, my dad had said when we bought it, he said, you know, this is kind of a long shot. And so we got to have enough business discipline to realize after three years, if this doesn't work, we need to realize it and not throw any good money after bad.
2: So you've come to your three-year mark.
1: So we'd come to the three-year mark, and it was kind of kind of discouraging because we had made so much progress. For example, our production cost per page had gone from about a hundred dollars per page in labor to about twenty dollars a page in labor. Is that
2: from automation? Uh,
1: yeah, some some yeah, definitely some automation, and just you know, and some of the unions had decertified, and so we had more flexible work rules. But we were still losing money. We were losing market share. And so at that point, we tried to throw in the towel. That's when we went to the Gazette and said, why don't we do a joint operating agreement, which was an exemption from the antitrust laws to allow two newspapers to combine their business operations. So our proposal was, you know, we'll we'll still put out a newspaper in the afternoon. You put out one in the afternoon, but you run everything. You run all the business operations. Only one company to come to to buy newspaper advertising, and that would be the combined company. And we'd take 10% of the profits, give you 90% of the profits, et cetera. Were so,
2: you offering uh, the paper cheap?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were, not you know. Why we, do you think they didn't take it? They thought we were going to go out of business, That's what I they think. They were just
2: going to wait it out.
1: And, and I th- the, you know, I can't blame them, really. Mm-hmm. I think they thought they were probably—they were right. We were about to go out of business, mm-hmm. you know, and we, th- we thought about shutting the newspaper down.
2: So I've read this two different ways, and I don't know which one's right. It was the, Demo- the Democrat, the one you owned, was an afternoon paper— uh, and it had half the circulation as the Gazette, which was the morning paper. But w- which one was the liberal and which one was the conservative? Well, the, the
1: Gazette was more liberal, and the Democrat, when we bought it, was not really conservative. It was just kind of – hard. I mean, it was kind of middle of the road, I guess. And, and, and because we were more conservative, the editorial pilot page became more conservative.
2: So when Hugh Patterson, the managing or the publisher of the Gazette, turned out – declined your offer – what made you decide that you were going to just go for it? And you did three things that really turned your paper around.
1: Yeah. Well, basically, we said, you know, uh, at this point, we're looking at shutting the paper down. We got legal opinions about what will happen. How do we do this? <laughs> you know, what are the liabilities we'll have to pay off, et cetera? And we did oh, notes on the paper, which we would have had to pay off and so anyway uh and how old are you right now
2: when this is going uh on?
1: this is going on see i was 27 when we bought the paper so i was like 31 he's you know? a child so anyway okay. so basically you know we sat down and figured my dad said you know we've always been successful we got We've always been successful publishing newspapers. We got into the radio business in the 1930s. We were always successful at that. We got into the television business in the 1950s. We've been successful at that. We got into the cable television business in 1964. We've been – this is – you know, in the history of our company, this is a pretty spectacular failure. And so I thought, you know what? If we're going to fail at this, let's just don't whimper out. Let's say we gave it everything we could – And let's see if there's any other strategy that would work, you know. And we said, you know, we really haven't tried to put out as good a newspaper as the Gazette. We've tried to edit it more cleverly and emphasize more local news and things like that. We are not giving people as good a product. We don't have as much news in the paper. We don't have as much advertising in the paper. Is there something that could work where we would actually try to do that? And so at that point, we went around to four or five places in the country and one in Canada where the number two newspaper had pursued a successful strategy to try to catch up with the number one newspaper. We went to uh, Dallas where the afternoon paper had become a morning paper. We went to Chattanooga where the number two newspaper had become the number one newspaper, uh, mainly by putting a lot more news in their paper than the other paper. We went to Winnipeg, Canada, which had gone with free one ads for classified advertising. So there'd be more readership for the classified ads in the competition.
2: And you took notes on all of that.
1: So, we, yeah, we kind of uh, sort of amalgamated a a strategy and thought, you know, why don't we try to do all of it at one time? And, you know, if this fails, we can say at least we tried everything.
2: Be an epic failure.
1: Yeah. Well, we, you know.
2: So you did. You offered free one ads. First time I ever heard of it. You switched to a morning distribution, and you brought on new talent so you'd have better content. Right, yeah. And you learned all three of those from your research. Right, from looking at what had worked in other markets. Wow, that's really impressive. And it only took five years, I think, for the Democrat to be noted as the fastest-growing newspaper in the United States, and you were tied with the Gazette.
1: Well, we, uh, yeah, no, we, we, we were not tied with them in circulation by nine, been five years, but, but we were gaining. We were gaining on them. And uh, I'll tell you the most amazing part of that whole story is our classified advertising revenues in 1978, before we went to free one ads, were $796,000 a year. Five years later, our classified advertising revenues were over $5 million a year.
2: But you were giving them away for free.
1: I know. Everybody says, how could that happen? And so we only gave the ads away free to individuals who had for for sale by owner. uh, If they wanted to sell a pet, if they wanted to sell a car, if they wanted to sell a boat. And so all of a sudden. Garage sales. Yeah. And so this is what they did in Winnipeg, Canada. And all of a sudden, we had a lot more cars for sale in our newspaper than the Gazette had cars for sale in their newspaper. So now the car dealers decided they wanted to start running with ours, And, of course, the car dealers paid for their advertising.
2: Was that unexpected?
1: No, that was the whole plan. You knew it. Well, no, we we knew that's what it would work like if it was successful. We didn't know if it would be successful.
2: So when you had this great success and you decided to turn it into the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, how did you depict that name? Arkansas Democrat Gazette. How did oh, you decide to just merge those names?
1: Because the Gazette had been had had a great tradition in Arkansas, had been a great newspaper, is the oldest newspaper west of the Mississippi, mm-hmm. won Pulitzer prizes. I just didn't feel like it was right to let the Gazette name go away.
2: So you added the Democrat to it. Yeah, and right before um, you bought it, Waco was, was big. Waco Media it was a big company in Arkansas. But Gannett bought the um, the Gazette, the Arkansas Gazette, and they are a nationwide big company. Yeah. Are you shaking in your boots now?
1: Oh yeah, they uh, when they came to town. You say we were a big company. We had about sixty million dollars a year in revenue. I think Gannett had like two billion dollars a year in revenue. Yeah, that's
2: like really big. (laughs) So
1: so we were not. We were pretty small compared to them. Yeah, compared to them. But yeah, they made it known when Al Newhart came to Little Rock. He said, "You know, we're here to use our considerable resources to prevail." and in the newspaper market here, so
2: and they ended up suing you over an antitrust laws. No, didn't no, they?
1: Gannett didn't. That was a suit filed by the previous owner, the Patterson, Hugh Patterson.
2: Oh, okay. And you won that law, and you won that lawsuit.
1: Yeah. So what happened is that uh, we were gaining market share, you know, with our new strategy—morning newspaper, free want ads, and all these things. And I know it was fr- must have been frustrating to the owners of the Gazette because at one time they could have you know, had 90 percent of the whole thing to themselves. Right. And now, uh, you know, what I think frustrated them the most was in 1984, we finally gained enough market share where we had some profitable months. OK, so that was big because we we lost a lot of money doing the turnaround, mm-hmm. you know, in 79, 80. But every year we lost less and less and less money. And in 84, in April of 1984, we made a profit of over $14,000 after depreciation, <laughs> after interest, after tax, everything. <laughs> That's not very much. And, and we, print, I know it's not much, but when you've lost a lot of money, it seemed great. And we printed up these buttons that said, we're in the black. And, and I thought, what are we going to do with $14,000? That's not much compared to So we took it and we divided it by 352 employees. And we gave everybody a check for like $40 or something. And said, you know, we're going to take our first profit and give it to our employees.
2: That's awesome. So did uh, the owner of the paper, when you began to take over market shares, did the owner of the Arkansas Gazette come to you and say, okay, remember that offer you made me a while back? No. He didn't. His ego was too big. Now, that
1: was in, in April of 84 when we made a profit in December of 84. They filed an antitrust suit saying we were trying to drive them out of business. And when we got, we finally got all the records through the antitrust, We had about thirty-six percent of the revenue, and they had about sixty-four percent of the revenue. Yet we were trying to drive them out of business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it didn't make sense. And it didn't make sense to the jury either. And that's when we we won the case in '86.
2: So they sold to the Gannett, to Gannett, and then you still continued to grow, even though Gannett had deep, deep pockets. And they finally, how many years did they stay?
1: a little under five years.
2: And they just decided to give it to give it to you.
1: Well I'll tell you what happened to the Gazette uh, under 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 the previous owners, the Gazette had been profitable every year. In fact I remember at the trial we introduced an exhibit and the Gazette had never lost money in a single year, even during the Great Depression. Really? Pretty remarkable. That is remarkable. But once it was sold to Gannett, the strategy was just sort of a scorched earth all out. We're going to become the only paper in town. And we our losses went way up, too, you know, to try to match them. And uh, so with that going on, uh, the Gazette started losing money. And more importantly, we continued to gain market share. And they lost market share until about 1988, Okay, a couple of years later. And they got so frustrated, they cut their subscription price from like, a week to 85 cents a week for every single one of their subscribers. And if we had cut our price like they had, we would have lost so much money we would have gone out of business. So we couldn't do that. And so in the final analysis over the five years they had the paper, they lost more money every year than they lost the previous year. And they lost market share every year over the previous year. And so one of the things I learned from this whole experience is – Think about profitability. You're either making money or you're losing money. And think about market share. You're either gaining market share or you're losing market share. So there are four different scenarios you can find yourself in. You can be making money and gaining market share. That's the best of the four. Sure. You know, but you can be making money and you can lose market share and you're going to keep your business open because it's still profitable. I don't know how long it's going to be profitable, but it's still profitable. You Mm know, now you could be. You could be losing, you what know, we as met, just mentioned it, Be profitable, losing market share. Uh, you can be losing money and gaining market share
2: in a growth is, mode,
1: and that and that's where the Democrat was. And it's still worth continuing to to operate because you can see if we keep gaining market share, eventually we're going to be profitable. You know, if it makes sense. The only scenario that is a lose lose is if you're losing money and you're losing market share. And if you're in that situation, it doesn't matter whether you're a newspaper or I remember Exxon got into the office products business in the 70s. They lost money. They lost market share. It doesn't matter how big you are. If you lose money and you lose market share, you're not going to be you're not going to survive. And that's the situation Gannett found themselves in with the Gazette.
2: I love that. That's a really well uh, thought out way to think about that. That's 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 good advice for all small business owners.
1: Here's an interesting final summation from Walter Hussman. Some people at Harvard said that they thought there was four times in human history, uh, th- three times in human history, when there's a, a major revolution in text, T-E-X-T, things that are written. When's the printing press? Well, the first one was when the first written language was created. Up until that, everything was verbal. And then the next one was, you know, centuries, well, a couple of thousands of centuries later, when 1440, when Gutenberg created the printing press, and when that happened, the cost of replicating text dropped by over 99 percent, because instead of one letter at a time like the monks did, now the printing press was so efficient, and all of a sudden people could start reading the Bible and other things. And then the, the third revolution they said was in 1993, and that was when you know the. The World Wide Web was created, Mm -hmm. and so now you could distribute information at a cost that was 99% less than you could on a printing press. And
2: just fast, so fast. You type it, hit send, it's gone. Right. You don't have to put it on a horse and buggy and carry it across the West. To our listeners, thank you for spending time with me and Walter. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on up in your business. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's
1: show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, contact me, Gray, at flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week.